When I was a, you know, we're entering into local politics election season, so mayor, town council, that kind of thing. Well, when I was in middle school, I think I was in middle school, one of my best friend's dads was running for mayor. And this is a man I'd known most of my life. I loved him like a second father. And I was so excited at the thought that this guy that I know and trust, he's a man of integrity, could possibly be mayor of my town. And in fact, I... I I distinctly remember I had a correlation in my mind. If he wins mayor, we get a Chick-fil-A. That it was like what was going on in my brain. If he wins mayor, we get a Chick-fil-A. Now, I don't think he had that kind of power, but, you know, when you're a kid, you think a mayor's king, and they just kind of decide. Anyway, so I was way too young to vote, but I wanted to throw my full-bodied support behind this candidate. I want to make sure that his name was seen above the guy he was running against, and Mom, I'm sorry, I'm about to say something that I don't think I've ever told you, so apologies in advance. My idea of how I could support this candidate is I would ride my bike around town, and I would ride my bike through his opponent's signs. Or I would tear the signs apart, take them down. Now, Angela's running for town council now. I'm not doing that now. I'm not. I'm not doing that for her, you know, opponent, who, Alan is a great guy, I, lo I love the guy she's running against, but anyway, I would go through town and I would destroy the other guy's signs, because I thought, you know, I want my candidate's name to be seen more. I want people to have that mind, that name in mind when they think mayor. Now, I know now that if an adult does that, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a class three misdemeanor. <laughs> And uh, each, me, each time of destruction would be, you know, a 30, possibly 30 days in jail, $200 fine. I didn't know that then. But I did know it was wrong. I did. I did know that if he knew I'd done that, and if mom and dad had known I'd done that, it would have been, they would have been horrified. Last thing he wanted was like vandalism, desecration of property in his name. You know, it, it was the wrong thing. I knew it was wrong. But I was convinced that the end justified the means that if I was going to get this Chick-fil-A, it meant I could do some petty crime. I could bear his name and do some petty crime. He never found out. Mom now knows. I'm sorry. <laughs> this morning we're talking about the third commandment. And the third commandment is the command to not take the Lord's name in vain. Not to misuse the Lord's name. And I think of all the Ten Commandments, the third commandment is probably the one that's most misunderstood. Because at least in my mind, when I, I remember growing up hearing it, and I don't know, I don't think I was ever told this, but my interpretation of what the third commandment was, to not take the Lord's name in vain, was just to make sure I didn't say certain words. And I think we're all thinking the same words you're not supposed to say, that really bad curse word. And it was like, if I just don't say that, third commandment, done. I'm good. If I can just avoid saying those syllables... It's good. I have not taken the Lord's name in vain. Now, I do want to say before I go any further that the third commandment is about taking the Lord's name seriously. It's not treating it casually. And that absolutely means honoring His name. Not using it in that kind of crude uh, way. That absolutely what it is what it means. But it means a whole lot more than that. If we think third commandment and we think if I can just avoid saying those couple of syllables, I'm good, then I think we've missed the point of what God's trying to get us to. We're going to miss the bigger picture. 
And I want to dig into that more. That's what we're going to be doing this morning. But to sum it up, essentially, if you're going to tune me out, this is what the sermon's about. We've been given God's name in Christ. And we are called to value what he values in all of our life, in our words, yes, but also our desires and our actions. So that brings me to our sermon passage this morning. Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2, and verse 7. This is God's word, good, beautiful, and true. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that in it you show us who you are and you show us who we are in you. So I pray in these moments, as we look into the treasures of your word, that you would move by your spirit to open the eyes of our hearts, to see you, to see the glory of the gospel, and to see what it means for us as your freed people to live free, to bear your name. pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, for all these Ten Commandments sermons, we're using the same three sections. We're essentially asking three questions, and we're seeking to answer those three questions in each of the sermons. And the first one's this, who are we in the gospel? What does the third commandment tell us about who we are in the gospel? And to summarize the last few weeks, when we started this sermon series, I did not start with the first commandment because I thought it was very important for us to get the background. Because God did not start by just giving a list of things to do and to not do. In fact, the, the, the Ten Commandments and how God gives them teaches us a basic lesson that runs throughout Scripture that God's grace goes first. Always. Grace goes first. Always. We know that because when the Egyptians were in, I mean, when the Israelites were in Egyptian slavery and God sends Moses to be their redeemer, to free them from this slavery, Moses does not arrive on the scene with a list of the Ten Commandments. Moses does not arrive in Egypt and say, here are these Ten Commandments that God's given. You do these things and then I'll free you. No, God goes and frees his people. He redeems them from slavery first. And then he tells them how to live as his freed people. He frees them apart from anything they do to contribute to their freedom. He frees them and then he tells them how to live as his freed people. Grace goes first. And then when we look at the first commandment, the first commandment, have no other gods besides God. We talked about how a god is really anything we look to for ultimate meaning and worth. A God is anything we look to for ultimate definition of who we are. And when God tells us to not have any gods before Him, He is saying, I have bestowed on you incredible value. You don't need to go looking for it. Remember I said, uh, something's worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. Something is worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. And in Christ, God has come to earth to be one of us, and he paid this ultimate price, and in doing so, he confers a value beyond calculation on us that we don't have to earn, we don't have to chase after, and we are God's people, value beyond counting. But God doesn't just give us that value and send us off. He's not like one of the experts on Antiques Roadshow, or he's not like a collector getting all these valuable things and putting them on the wall. As we saw in the second commandment, God has freed us, and he has given us this value so that we will live in life-giving relationship with him. 
It's not just, here's, here's some conferred value on you. Go off and do what you want to. No, he's bought us and he's brought us into this relationship with him. And being in that relationship means, going, uh, means interacting with him how he's told us to. In a sense, he's given us the phone number where we know we can always call and find him. He shows us clearly who he is in Christ. And he teaches us to focus in and build our confidence on the promises of his word, which are sure. And where can we always find God? In scripture. We can always find God in prayer. We can always find God in the Lord's Supper and baptism. We can always find God in the community of faith that is built around the gospel. So that brings me to the third commandment this morning. Who are we? In the gospel. Our God is God with us and God for us and now never God apart from us. And He gives us His name. The New Testament runs with this and it speaks about us being adopted into God's family. That we in Christ are adopted sons and daughters of God. In a sense, given His name. And so are, who are we? We are those who have been given God's name. It's a profound grace. Not only have we been given His name, God has chosen to always now be known as God, the God of Tim. That is who He has decided to be. He has added me, in a sense, to His name. The same is true of you. God does not seek to be God. You know, God's eternally self-existent. He needs nothing, but He moves just by His grace because He has decided to seek us out in love to, in a sense, add to His name by making Himself God, the God of Stephen. God, the God of Teresa. And He is not ashamed of us. We read it in Hebrews chapter 2. In our assurance of pardon passage, it speaks about Jesus coming and He is not ashamed to stand with us. That passage keeps going and I did not read the whole thing, but it speaks of Jesus standing and He says, Here I am and the children that God's given to me. And He is saying, insofar as Jesus is known in this world, He is known as our Savior. He has sought us out and He has given us God's name in a sense. He's adopted, himself. He's adopted us into His family. Now, in Scripture, God's name, it's not just a, a, a word that's given to refer to Him. Like, my name is Tim, and your name is whatever your name is. When it speaks of God's name, the, the sense is He is so utterly unique and so utterly powerful that when we call upon Him and we say His name, it is like His name is His presence. That we don't treat it casually. We don't treat it like any other word that we might say. We recognize that when we speak of God, we are always speaking in His presence. God's not an abstract thing that sometimes we talk about. We are always speaking God, a present God. And that means our words matter. When we speak of God, we are speaking of the most real thing. We are speaking of the Holy One, He who is completely other, He who is truly righteous and good, who is completely beautiful. And that when we call upon His name, He is there. Now, I don't want you to think of it like a magic word. It's not like Beetlejuice. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Beetlejuice. They're making a sequel now. I love Beetlejuice. I'm sorry. But Beetlejuice is like this 
monster zombie thing. I actually don't know what he is. But if you say his name three times, he appears, and it's chaos. Like, you say his name three times, and he's there, and he's wrecking everything. I don't want us to think of it that way, where if we say, Jesus, 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 like, he just appears, and Jesus isn't Beetlejuice. He's also not, like, a genie in a bottle. We're not given God's name to use it like a magic word, where we can say Jesus and then attach it to kind of anything and get what we want. No, when we are told that we are given God's name, we are being told that we have been won by grace. A grace that has sought us out to find us and to stay with us. A grace that has not just found us one time, but a grace that comes to us again and again. And He is present. He is our God. And we are His people. The biggest way we see this is Jesus Christ. I've already talked about it. He's the ultimate revelation of who God is and God's intentions for us. And what do we see in Christ? God chases us into this broken world. In the words of John 3.16, not in condemnation, but to find us for salvation, to find us to bring us eternal life, even though we turn our back on God day after day. He breaks into the darkness, the spiritual darkness of our world to shine his life. Shine His light. Through Jesus, God rescues us and He gives us His name. He joins Himself to us as one of us, as we read in Hebrews 2, the one who makes people holy and the one who is being made holy or of the same family. Now maybe you have a last name you wish you didn't have. Maybe you were given a name or a first name even that you wish you didn't have. Maybe your parents or grandparents are complicated people. I see people actually looking at their parents. <laughs> but maybe, maybe you have a name you wish you didn't have. Or maybe you've made a mess of your life and you think, I'm not worthy to bear the name that I have. Maybe you feel like you don't measure up to somebody else in your family. Now I want you to know in this moment and feel the power of God's love for you that He has given you a name that is beyond your living up to something, beyond your messing something up. That to be given God's name is to be brought in His family, into His family entirely by grace. And when He joins Himself to us, when we are adopted into His family, all the dirtiness that you could possibly bring to the table does not make Him dirty. He makes you clean. All the unholiness, unrighteousness, all the sin that you bring to the table cannot make Him unrighteous. When you're joined to Him by faith, you are righteous by faith. You don't pull Him down. He lifts you up. That's the gospel. And that's who we are in the gospel. He's tossed His... Uh, he's put all chips in on being your God, in a sense. And you don't... Bring him down. He lifts you up. That brings me to my second section here. The second question that we're seeking to ask. How do we live as God's freed people? How do we live out who we are in the gospel as those who have been given God's name? So I've said, our God is God with us and God for us and never now God apart from us. And he gives us his name. He adopts us into his family. He binds himself to us for our good. And he gives us a mission to bear this name 
into the world, to take that name and walk into the world we live in, valuing what he values and loving what he loves in all of our lives. Notice, I've already said it, God has not given us his name to use it however we want. As it says here in the commandment, there's the possibility that his name can be misused or taken in vain used in an empty way or an improper way. And this is what we tend to call hypocrisy, right? Someone who is bearing a name and then not valuing what that name values. The background of the word hypocrite is actually from the Greek word uh, actor. So when they started calling people hypocrites, it was like you're, a, you're play acting at this. You're wearing a mask. And we who grow up in religious worlds, we know very much about uh, religious masks. They're valued, actually. They're rewarded. But it's possible to misuse His name. People who call on God's name and say, I bear God's name, but do not value what He values and love what He loves. This is when we use God's name to try and manipulate people or lie. I mean, an obvious example is if we are in court and we swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God, and then we lie. That's a misuse of God's name, of course. But it's a lot bigger than just the courtroom. This could be obvious things like lying under oath, but it could also be somebody being like a, a Christian business owner, putting a cross or a Jesus fish on their logo, but then mistreating their employees or their customers. That's taking God's name in vain. That's misusing His name. This could be things like pastors or authority figures telling people, God told me to tell you to give me all your money. Or what happens actually probably more often than not, God told me to tell you that I'm allowed to abuse you. They wouldn't use those words, but I can do this to you. That's misusing God's name. There's bigger uh, instances of this throughout history. I thought of a number this week. We, we always talk about the Crusades. I read a, a, horrendous, a horrendous quote from this theologian called Bernard of Clairvaux who has written some of the most beautiful texts reflecting on the love of God. I read a sermon of his that he preached during the Second Crusade, Crusade to try to win troops and he's talking about atone for your sins with the blood of the infidels on your sword. That's a profound misuse of God's name to tell people that God is calling you to kill these people in his name. Or there's instances of uh, like uh, pre-Civil War South slave owners tearing out sections of the Bible so that the slaves will not read them because they're afraid that if the slaves read the gospel, they will know I have value and worth that my slave master does not give me. That comes from God. That's misuse of God's name. I could keep going. There's so many. People have used the name of God to justify war and violence and abuse. That's hypocrisy. And that is what this commandment is warning against. But friends, God's name has been given to us and it is the most important thing about any of us. To bear His name is to know that our words and our actions and our very lives matter. 
That we aren't just random people in random circumstances that are able to do whatever we want and try to hustle to get ahead. That we are people who have been pursued and found and are now set on a pathway of love by the God of the universe that we've given, been given His name by grace. And that makes every word we say, every action we do, every desire we have profoundly valuable and meaningful. Our words matter. Our actions matter. Our relationships matter. The words we say, the actions we take. And living as God's freed people means living this truth out. That we now have this freedom to walk in His name and not our own. And the calling here is to not treat God's name like a possession. It's not a magic word, as I've said. We don't just call upon Him on Sundays. We don't segment off our religious beliefs from the rest of our lives. That's not what God is calling us to. When we are one into His kingdom, He becomes Lord over our entire lives. Not just what we say we believe. Not just uh, what we do on Sundays. It means we become people who are asking questions like, what does it mean for me to live as God's freed person with Him as my Lord? What does it mean for me to be God's representative here in my home? What does it mean for me to bear God's name at my school? What does it mean for me to bear God's name at my workplace and in my neighborhood, with my family, on social media, in the ballot box, in the way I treat the staff at Walmart? I could keep going. What does it mean for me to bear God's name and to walk into all these places in my life and say, God is my Lord? What he says goes, and that impacts how I live, not just on Sunday, but in every aspect of our lives. But here's the thing. Hypocrisy is not just a problem where we say one thing and do another. The, the, the more insidious thing about hypocrisy is it can happen kind of uh, without our intentions in play. Sometimes we can become hypocrites without thinking, yeah, I'm going to say this one thing and do another can happen when we refuse to commit to really asking what it means to live with love of God and love of neighbor as the primary driver of our lives. One of those instances happened in the Old Testament. So Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah is speaking to God's people. And they are people that are asking a question, essentially. They've decided to fast. And you know, the, the, the religious practice of fasting, you refrain from uh, eating food for a time and you focus in on prayer and that deprivation kind of prepares you in a sense to, uh, to be able to be more focused on God. That's the idea of what fasting is. And these people have fasted and they're saying, why haven't our prayers been answered? We've done this fast by the book. We have done what we are supposed to do. We have not been eating. We have done this thing and God should hear us. Why aren't our prayers being answered? answered. Why have we fasted? They say to God, why have we fasted and you've not seen it? And this is what God says through Isaiah in Isaiah 58. On the day of your fasting, you do as you please and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? 
only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or for lying in sackcloth and ashes, which was a way to show grief or repentance? Is that what you call a fast? Is that what you call a day acceptable to the Lord? This is what God says. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? Loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? What Isaiah is saying, what God is saying through Isaiah in Isaiah 58, that it is possible for us to think we are bearing the name and we are following God's uh, instruction precisely. They had fasted the quote-unquote right way. And to not work out that what God is driving out is not just to get us to do a bunch of religious stuff. That is to bear His name in every part of our life. As he says here, to not exploit your workers. To not strike at each other with fists and quarreling. But to be about the good of the people who are most overlooked. To bear God's name is for us is a whole lot more than just to say, I'm a Christian, or I believe these things, or I go to church on Sunday. God has freed us to be His, to bear His name in all of who we are. Not just to do some religious stuff, but to go into all of our world and live as if He is Lord because He is. And to live as if other people matter because they do. As I've said, God's given us His name and we are being formed into people who love what He loves and value what He values. And that leads us to our last section here. How does this freedom lead us into mission? Kind of already answered that question, but how does this freedom live, lead us to turn outward in mission? We know we've been given God's name. We know that our words, that our actions, our desires matter, and we're called to value what He values in every part of our life. But what, how does this turn us to mission? To be given God's name can sometimes feel like a fearful thing. There's been some eras of church history or uh, of, of human history where people thought the right way for me to not take the Lord's name in vain is just not to say it. In fact, ancient Jews, they got to the point where they would not say God's name out loud. It's actually why we don't know how to rightly pronounce Yahweh. God gave His name as Yahweh in Exodus 3, but we actually, I I learned ancient Hebrew in (laughs) seminary, we don't actually know how that was originally pronounced. Because it went for centuries and centuries with nobody saying it out loud. The idea for them was this is terrifying to bear God's name and so the best way for us to handle this terrifying idea is just not to say it at all. They saw God's name as a burden and it was a little too heavy. But God's name has been given to us to call upon Him and to bear into our world. And we don't obey the command to not take His name in vain or misuse His name by avoiding His name. That's not what He's calling us to. In fact, to be given God's name is not a fearful thing. It is not a burden. It is a calling. A few years ago, I remember seeing, I think it was 2012, NBA or the uh, Basketball Hall of Fame induction ceremony. 
It's a remarkable ceremony in 2012. Uh, inducted that night were Michael Jordan, obviously the big name. Also John Stockton, David Robinson, these huge names that I'd watched growing up. And I remember just the contrast, especially between David Robinson and Michael Jordan. Now, you don't need to be a basketball fan to understand what I'm talking about here, but during their careers, the storyline on these two guys, Michael Jordan, greatest of all time, ruthless, incredible competitor. He chewed people up and spit them out no matter who they were. And then everybody said David Robinson, incredible talent, but he's too nice of a guy. Like, he, he doesn't know how to talk junk really well. He gives, <laughs> off the court, he's like, a good family man. He doesn't have to, you know, he gives a lot of money to charities. Like, what? There was a contrast there. Michael was the greatest because he was ruthless. David, talented, but too nice of a guy. But of course, that was decades before. On this night, they were middle aged men being recognized for their basketball accomplishments. And for both of them, their children were in the audience. And you can go look this up. It's a remarkable contrast. When Michael Jordan is giving his speech, being inducted in the Hall of Fame, widely recognized as the greatest basketball player of all time, he turns to his kids and he says this, you know, I think you guys have a heavy burden. I would not want to be you guys if I had to because of all the expectations you have to deal with. He turns to his kids. I would not want to have to be you and wear my name because of all the expectations. For Michael Jordan, he saw his name as a burden to carry for his kids. But when it was David Robinson's turn, this Hall of Fame basketball player, he turned to his kids and he said this, quote, I'm very proud of you, and I hope that this gives you something you want to live up to that makes you want to be proud of the Robinson name and carry it on. You're so intelligent and so wonderful, and I just want to say I love you. That's what he said to his kids. For him, the Robinson name, it was not a burden that he was throwing on the shoulders of his kids. It was a calling, a calling that was infused in every part with love. That's what it means for us to bear God's name. God is not giving us His name as a burden on our shoulders. God's not giving us this name and saying, I know this is heavy, and I wouldn't want to be you dealing with all these expectations of bearing this name. No, God gives us His name and He says, I have a love for you you did not earn. I have a love for you that you cannot lose. Here is my name. You are my daughters and sons. Follow me in love. Follow me in loving others well. So this morning, friends, feel the freedom of that love. We bear God's name. We've been given His name by faith. And let's make it our mission together to work out what that means to bear that name in all the unique places that God has given to us. Not as a burden, not as a thing that weighs us down, but as a calling into freedom. Now I want to close this morning with this thought. Because if we step back and think about it, if I start going through my mind, especially for those of us who have been following Jesus for a little while, sometimes we are hypocrites. Sometimes we are hypocrites. 
for bad reasons, selfish reasons. Sometimes we're like me at the beginning of the sermon. I was talking about trying to support the candidate that I thought would be a good candidate by tearing up the signs of the other candidates. I thought the ends justified the means. Sometimes Christians do that. The truth is, sometimes we are hypocrites. Sometimes we do misuse His name. And it is kind of a fearful thing. As God says here in in verse 7, the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses His name. How can we read that and not turn away in terror? And the answer is because of Jesus. When the Son of God came into our world to become one of us, in His life He walked in obedience. He did not misuse the name of God. As He said in Luke 4, our words at the very beginning of the service, He said, I've been anointed by God's Spirit and what I'm here to do is to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom to prisoners, sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free and to tell everyone of the year of the Lord's favor of His grace. Jesus did not misuse that name. Not at all. He came in freedom, in the freedom of His love and He humbled Himself because it was His mission to rescue us. We misuse God's name. We take it in vain, but He did not. And in the grace of all graces, when we are joined to Jesus by faith, when we are brought into His family and given His name, that obedience that belongs to Him by right is credited to us by grace. So in God's sight, we are righteous. And at His cross, He wears our sin. And the penalty for our sin is poured out on Him and exhausted So there remains no more wrath or condemnation for our sin, no matter how great it is. When we come to Jesus and He takes it from us, there is no more condemnation, period. That anger against sin is exhausted. And now we're righteous in God's sight by faith and not by works. And part of what this means is that we represent... Uh, we represent and bear this name to others, not only in our obedience. I pray it all the time. And when we pray the Lord's Prayer, I say, God, work through us and in us and the gifts that you've given to us as we live in obedience, but work perhaps more powerfully in our weakness or even our failure. And the reason I pray this is because if we know we have God's love, if we know we are righteous by faith in Him and not by our own works, when we see the places of our hypocrisy, when we fail, when we know our weaknesses, we can turn to other people and say, yeah, I've been a hypocrite, and I'm probably going to do it again. I'm not perfect. When people say, I don't want to go to church because it's full of hypocrites, you don't have to get defensive. You can say, yeah, it really is. But when I see those failures, I do not have to despair. I can flee right away to Jesus. And those places of my hypocrisy don't have the final word about me. I can bring them to God. I can lay them at His feet. And I can experience the transformation that comes from Him. I can know that change is actually possible. Friends, who are we in the gospel? Who are you? Those who have been given God's name by grace. How does this teach us to lead, live as God's freed people? Well, we bear that name in every area of our lives, valuing what God values and loving what He loves. And how does this lead us to mission? We carry this name as a calling in freedom, not a burden. A calling that will lead to transformation in our lives, in the lives of our families, in the lives of our community. Let's pray. 
Father, I thank you for the glorious grace of being adopted into your family, that we are known as your sons and daughters, that we are given your name. So I pray, Lord, as we reflect on the things that you've spoken by your Spirit to us today, that you would imprint it upon our hearts, cause it to dig deep roots within us, that we would be mindful that being given your name is a profoundly uh, incredible grace and a serious thing, but not a burden. It's a calling into freedom. Help us to live in that freedom, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.